Steve Palmer here from Lawyer Talk, coming at you with another Q&A session. Uh, for those who haven't caught up on that yet, uh, we have been taking questions at LawyerTalkPodcast.com or elsewhere. Sometimes the questions come at the law firm. Sometimes they come at uh, the law firm website or actual calls I get from folks. Uh, and then sometimes, like today, they come from the LawyerTalkPodcast.com webpage. Uh, there's an interface that lets you submit questions, send us an email, and uh, we'll try to answer them right here on the air. The idea is to give you a bite-sized chunk so you don't have to listen to the long-format discussions that we've been having at the roundtable for the last couple of years. I typically bury the questions or have been burying the questions in the longer-form discussions, and uh, you know we really sort of uh, air them out there and unpack all the nuance. But the idea of this series is to just cut to the quick, get the question answered as simply and uh, quickly as possible, and uh, give people some bite-sized chunks to that they can consume a little bit easier. So the question of the day, without further ado, uh, came from Mr. Johnson. That actually uh, may or may not be a real name, but it is Mr. Johnson. Uh, and here's, here's the question. Have you ever used a writ of habeas corpus in your legal practice? Is it true that a prisoner can serve a writ of habeas corpus to his jailer and they have to give it to the court? Is it true that you can use a writ of habeas corpus to fight an incorrect guilty plea? This is all about habeas corpus, or as my mentor used to say, habeas corpuscle, uh, sort of jokingly. But habeas corpus, it's uh, an ancient tradition, maybe I should say, or an old common law tradition going way, way back. It means have the body. The king would come around um, to the various manners, manners rather, uh, and dispense the king's justice. And if you felt like uh, one of the lords, the local lords, or wherever you lived in your community, you got the shaft, then... Um, you would ask the king uh, to issue a writ of habeas corpus, so order them to bring the person, have the body in front of the king, and explain what the heck is going on and maybe get some equity out of it. Uh, I think that's sort of the thumbnail sketch of the history. There's a lot more to it that I have uh, glossed over for sure. But now habeas corpus has developed into one of the most complex, misunderstood, pain in the backside areas of law, areas of criminal law that there uh, that has ever been invented. Um, you know, there it, it still exists. Uh, most states have some version of habeas corpus. Ohio does. I'm going to focus today, though, on this Q&A on the federal side of things. Uh, there is a federal habeas corpus uh, law, both for people convicted of federal crimes and for state crimes. Um, and there was an act, I don't know, back in the 90s, I believe, 96, called the Anti-Terrorism and Death Penalty Act that really sort of overhauled habeas corpus and what actions or what cases and issues can be heard and what can't. Um, so to answer this guy, answer Mr. Johnson's question, um, I have used habeas corpus in my law practice. I, I can't say it's a routine that you do every day type thing, but I, I do some habeas corpus work, and it's I, I'm involved in a few right now. Um, very complex legal issues that relate to things like waiver and exhaustion. Now, those are legal terms, but we're going to break them down. Don't worry. Um, let's start with waiver. If here's how this works. If you didn't present the issue, if you didn't raise the issue at the first possible opportunity to in front of whatever court you were in, say it's a trial and something happened, the prosecutor presented evidence that uh, shouldn't have or that he shouldn't have and the judge allowed it or the court allowed it in, uh, you needed to object. The, the, the defendant and or the lawyer needed to say objection and here's why. Uh, here's the constitutional issue. Here's the federal constitutional issue. Uh, as to why this should not be admitted. And if the court said, no, we're going to admit it anyway, well, now at least you have presented the issue. You've given the court an opportunity to actually rule on it and present it. So you haven't waived it there. But then you need to take that a step further. If you appeal your conviction, you have to present it again 
to the Court of Appeals. And then again, if you lose there to whatever the highest court in the state would be, in Ohio, we call that the Ohio Supreme Court. Other states have different words for the same thing or different ways to describe the same type of court. Um, and that, that shifts us over to this notion of exhaustion. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, you're tired. It doesn't mean that uh, you just can't do it anymore because it's been so grueling. What it means is that you have presented the issue, whatever it is, at every possible opportunity, at every possible level in state court. Remember, we're looking at a federal habeas corpus review over state court problems, state court convictions. So in, in our prior example, if you said objection at trial and you uh, then didn't raise the same issue, didn't argue the same problem in the court of appeals uh, after you were convicted, well, then you haven't exhausted that issue. You didn't give the state court a full opportunity to review it and decide it on, on whatever grounds uh, it deemed appropriate. Now, if you fail to exhaust and you fail or you, and you, and or you waive some of these issues at any level, well, then in theory, the federal court will not listen to it or hear your arguments on habeas corpus. There's a couple ways around that. Uh, I'm not going to go into the weeds of it, but uh, they call it cause and prejudice. If you can show cause, if you can explain why you didn't exhaust it and show that, it, that uh, there was prejudice as a result, then, then you, can, you can maybe shoehorn the issue into habeas corpus. Let me tell you how that mostly is done. It is mostly done where an attorney was ineffective for not raising something at the state court level. An attorney just didn't do it, uh, didn't object, and should have, and it was ineffective assistance of counsel under the Sixth Amendment. Then you, know, you can bring in certain issues under that umbrella. So let me explain. You have the, there was a failure to object at trial. And that failure to object, therefore, deemed the issue uh, waived or not exhausted, and therefore, the federal courts won't listen to it on habeas corpus. But you say, well, my lawyer screwed up, and by screwing up, he was ineffective, and uh, that violated my Sixth Amendment right to counsel, my right to effective assistance of counsel. And he was ineffective for not raising this obvious issue that should have been raised. Well, what I've done is under the umbrella of ineffectiveness, I have made a federal issue out of what the uh, what otherwise would have been waived or not exhausted. So let's take a look at uh, the rest of the question. Um, is it true that a prisoner can serve a writ of habeas corpus to his jailer? Uh, yes, that is actually exactly how it works. When we file a habeas corpus action, uh, you often will see uh, the the local jailer named. So if you're in a state court uh, jail at the local level, some county, uh, you're going to name the sheriff who's in charge of the jail. Uh, so in, in Ohio, my mentor once argued a case or, or took a case all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and it was Berkemer versus McCarty, uh, and he was basically naming the, uh, the sheriff that had our client, or his client rather, in custody. So remember, you have to be the other, it brings up another good point. In order to get habeas corpus relief, you have to be, quote, in custody. Now, that's pretty broad. It doesn't mean that you're in handcuffs at the, at the moment. It means that at some point in the future, uh, you may be subject to custody. It means at some point in the past, you were subject to custody. Um, and it may mean that uh, even if you're on probation, uh, you could be subject to custody uh, later on. I mean, it's a pretty broad term, but uh, generally the person who's going to put you in custody or has you in custody is the other side. That's who you actually name as the defendant in a habeas corpus action. So the answer is yes, it is true. A prisoner can actually serve the writ. Uh, actually, the prisoner doesn't serve, but there, you, you name the uh, the local jailer. And if the writ is issued, 
if the federal court issues the writ, they say, all right, jailer, bring me the body, bring this person here. Let's, let's review this. And that's habeas corpus. I think that implicitly answers the, uh, the second part of that question, which says, uh, uh, and they have to give it to the court. Yes. I mean, that, that, that is habeas corpus. Now the last part of the question, is it true that you can use a writ of habeas corpus to fight an incorrect guilty plea? This is, uh, this is a pretty broad question in, it's going to have a lot of, uh, it all depends, but generally, yes. I mean, it would, it would depend though on what, why is the guilty plea incorrect? So, for instance, say there was ineffective assistance of counsel uh, advising you as to whether you should have pled guilty. That could be a possible federal habeas corpus issue. You would have to raise that uh, at all possible levels. You would have to exhaust it and therefore not waive it. Um, you also may, might be able to challenge uh, a colloquy. A colloquy is fancy talk for the question and answer session that the judge engages in before you plead guilty. The judge has to uh, talk to you about what your rights are your constitutional rights. The judge has to talk to you about uh, and be sure that you're waiving those rights. You have to understand what all the possible penalties are if you do plead guilty. Uh, The judge has to be convinced that you are doing it knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily. And beyond the judge being convinced, the record that is the transcript, what is recorded, uh, has to reflect that. So if, if those things went wrong or things similar went wrong, you may have a constitutional issue that is viable on federal habeas corpus. Uh, now, before we wrap this Q&A up, I want to just emphasize one thing, and I've said it a few times, but I'll say it out loud and uh, a little more clearly, that it has to be a federal constitutional issue. It has to be something, some violation of federal law, and from a state court conviction, typically uh, in a criminal case, that is a constitutional problem. And by that, we're generally looking for something in the first 10 amendments or maybe even the 14th Amendment uh, right of due process, but things like uh, your right to counsel. Um, your right to a fair trial, right to a trial by jury, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, the the plea colloquy would fall under due process in the 14th Amendment as it incorporates uh, some of the other provisions we've discussed. So the point is it has to be a federal issue. It has to be a constitutional federal issue. It can't just be some violation of state law. It doesn't work. That's why at a trial, I always, always, always make a record, meaning if there's an objection of something happening I don't like, I always cite a constitutional amendment, some provision, something federal. So if the worst of the worst happens, my client gets convicted and somebody is looking at this case uh, years later on habeas corpus review, they can't say, well, I'm sorry, you waived it and you didn't exhaust because your lawyer didn't say that this violated the Sixth Amendment uh, right to trial by jury or whatever the provision is you're claiming now. Uh, That is not going to happen on my watch when I'm trying a case. If I object, say it's hearsay, I'm going to say, wait a minute, That violates my client's right of confrontation because hearsay is coming in and I can't cross-examine the person who's making the statement because that person's not here in court. Whatever the argument is, I always make it, even if uh, I get laughed at, even if people roll their eyes at me and they have, I promise you they have. I don't care. Uh, Damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead because I know what I need to do. I've read enough, we call them dead records in my world, where you're reading the record, you're reading the transcript and there's an objection and it's silent. There's nothing there explaining the basis of the objection. And then I'm stuck in federal court trying to argue, well, it's clear from the context. You can figure it out here that what this really was was a federal constitutional issue. Uh, It's just not good enough. And the same thing on appeal. Whenever I raise issues on appeal, even that are seemingly only state law, I always try to weave in uh, at least a reference, a cite, if not a full-blown argument about some constitutional provision. So again, heaven forbid it goes 
uh, all the way up and we've got to fight it in federal court on habeas corpus, my record is not dead and there's something there at least to raise and work with. And you never know. Anything can change. Anything can come up. We're all capable of, uh, of missing things. But uh, always make sure, if you're a lawyer out there listening, cite some constitutional provision when you object to trial. Just do it. Do it. They're going to roll your eyes. They're going to say, oh, you're just a constitutional believer. What do you know? Whatever. Screw that. Uh, you got to do it. Uh, all right. So we're going to wrap up this Q&A session. Again, we're taking bite-sized chunks, taking these questions on uh, in an easily digestible format. Uh, so, Mr. Johnson, I hope that answered your question. If you've got more, if you've got follow-up, uh, you want to get some uh, help with a habeas petition, uh, give us a shout uh, up at the law firm, 614-224-6142ohiolegaldefense.com. Anyone else has questions, uh, feel free to go to lawyertalkpodcast.com, uh, submit your question there. I will do my best to get it on the air as soon as possible. Uh, until then, however, this is Lawyer Talk Q&A, off the record, but on the air, at least until now.